I'm Margaret Brennan, and welcome to Facing Forward. This week, blockbusters are coming back. We need calm. The end is inevitable, Maverick. Where's 007? And movie theaters are back in business. I'm just so tired of sitting on my sofa and streaming movies, so I'm out of the house. After a challenging year with COVID restrictions, Hollywood is betting big on pent-up demand. But can the industry convince enough people that it's safe to return, despite the ease of streaming? Ahead, a conversation with Rich Gelfond, the CEO of IMAX. His business depends on the in-person experience. We'll discuss the slate of blockbusters he's excited about and why he thinks droves of people will be back in theaters as soon as the summer. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. Rich, welcome to the podcast. I'm happy to be here, Margaret. So it is wonderfully warm right now. We're headed into this summer season. Vaccines are becoming available. Do you actually think we'll see a summer blockbuster movie season? Yeah, I'm pretty confident about that, Margaret. I think that um, if you look at other parts of the world where um, it's been safe to go and there's been a a time period where people have gotten used to it, there are blockbusters. So I'm pretty sure there's going to be a blockbuster season in North America. Well, I mean, some of the places you're probably talking about, like Australia, China, Japan, they've had their theaters open, but they've also been much more stringent in cracking down on personal behavior to to help control the pandemic. Um, That must make a huge difference for you here in the U.S. where things really vary state by state, town by town. Yeah, but you have to remember that the U.S. isn't really open. I mean, a number of theaters are open, but they're open on weekends. There haven't been blockbuster film releases um, pretty much for a year with a few slight exceptions. So I think it's more a question of, do people feel safe going and are they comfortable? And I do think that's pretty much around the corner. And we've started to see some signs of life, little green shoots emerging, but I'm pretty sure between the vaccines and the regulation um, that we're gonna make it. Going to make it, meaning- I mean, we're, Me- Meaning to the summer blockbuster season, summer as blockbuster. you asked. Yeah. So. I mean, New York City, they have theaters open at partial capacity. I know Los Angeles, huge market. They're reopening. How how open exactly are theaters in America? Well, something like um, 60, 70 percent of the theaters have been, quote unquote, open. But in fact, there have been very limited hours in some cases 
weekends only, in some cases, just a few shows a week. And I think the exhibitors did that in a way to um, take care of their infrastructure, make sure it's clean, not lose their employees, get training. But it, it's really not open in a true sense of it. And even though the box office has been increasing, it's still been a fraction of what it was before the pandemic. Mm-hmm. I mean, how do you get people to feel safe? Is it all about the vaccine? I, I, I don't think it's all about the vaccine. I think it's partly about the vaccine. I think it's partly about the reality of being safe and then Finally, I think it's about the perception of safety. So, yes, the vaccine is a big deal. Um, As you know, um, there's been a lot more doses. Also, you have to remember that a lot of the movie going population in North America are younger people, and they tend to be objectively safer than other people in terms of the risks, and they tend to feel a little safer. So that's the first part of it. The second part of it is the safety protocols. And in fact, uh, the industry has installed something called Cinema Safe, which is a, a, a series of steps, wh- whether it has to do with cleaning or mask wearing or um, you know, concessions, all sorts of things to make people um, objectively safer. And then the third one is the perception of safety. And that is, I think, as an industry, the, the movie industry has to go out of their way to uh, it involves somewhat consumer service. So I think you have to say when people come, thank you very much for coming. Welcome back. I think um, the facilities have to be cleaner than is safe. They have to um, evoke cleanliness when you come in. And I think the staff has to continue to handle egress and exit in certain ways that make people feel safe. So I really think it's all three. So it's really, there's a lot being put on the theater owner's shoulders, essentially, in order to help protect your brand and and to help protect the films as well, right? I mean, AMC considered bankruptcy. You've seen Alamo Drafthouse filed for bankruptcy. I mean, this impacts your brand too. Well, IMAX was in a very different position um, than a lot of the companies you mentioned because we're global. And because we're global, the bad news is we entered the pandemic earlier than almost anyone, because as you know, China went in months before the rest of the world. Um, On the other hand, though, we've gotten to learn from other territories and we've seen what those protocols are. So I don't believe North America will open like a switch. No one else did. And if you use China as an example, first they ran some library content, then they ran some smaller movies. They established going back as safe There was a word of mouth that people enjoyed it and felt safe. And then ultimately the blockbusters came back and they did extremely strong business. As a matter of fact, our December this year in China was almost 30 percent ahead of last December. And Chinese New Year was one third better for the industry than it was in 2019 for Chinese New Year. So I think you, you can't expect, you know, when the open sign comes in, people are going to flock in. I think you have to roll it out in a measured way. And I really believe, like in the rest of the world, people will accept that and and come out. So here in the U.S., what's in the pipeline? Like, I can't imagine there is going to be a film about a virus or an outbreak anytime soon. Like, topically, is this experience driving a shift in production? 
Margaret, it sounds like you could have another career in um, running a movie studio, but I completely agree with you. I think there's going to have to be some sensitivity in terms of what um, we've just been through. But because the theaters were closed um, for such a long period of time, there's a big blockbuster, there's a big backlog of blockbuster films. So you have a lineup for the rest of the year that includes Black Widow from Disney, the sequel to Top Gun. Maverick with Tom Cruise. You have Godzilla versus Kong from Warner Brothers. You have Dune from Warner Brothers. You have a new Bond sequel. Um, you have Mission Impossible. You have a Spider-Man. So you're taking sort of a, a, a year and a half's worth of films and condensing them. And that's one reason I feel pretty good about this year is I think it's kind of an embarrassment of riches in terms of the film slate that's available. I mean, it was tough, though, getting to this point. IMAX was down in revenue about 65% from the year before. You had to furlough employees. Are you back to hiring again? Um, well, we're we're in the process of unfurloughing people. We pretty much didn't fire anyone. And when the pandemic started, um, we decided not to fire people, but instead go to a four-day work week. And the industry opened in fits and starts. So when it reopened in September... We thought we were out of the woods, but unfortunately, as the number of cases increased, that's when we had to furlough about a third of our company. And we brought back probably about 20% of the people on furlough now. And as the industry opens over the next few months, um, we're planning on bringing back virtually everyone else. So when do you think that we will see in the U.S. the, the surge that you have seen in China and in Asia? My best guess would be um, in, in the um, in, in the July August time period. Um, Top Gun sequel Maverick with Tom Cruise. Um, ha- I, I haven't seen it, but people I know have seen it. Um, think extremely highly of it. They think it may even be better than the first one. It's a typical kind of blockbuster movie in that it it it. It spans all the quadrants. It's a family movie. It's for kids. It's for older people. So that would be the time when I think things are really going to open up in a very material way. When will we get to pre-pandemic levels? Um, again, you know, that that's a harder one yeah. to assess. But um, as I mentioned, in other markets, it's beyond pre-pandemic levels. And I think, you know, some of the reasons for that are um, people are tired or sitting in their living rooms watching um, streaming content, whether it's shows or content. And, you know, I've enjoyed a lot of the streaming as much as anyone else. But I just think people want to get away from their parents. Parents want to get away from their kids. People want to be with their friends. I think once people get a taste of it, and one point I should make, which is quite important, is that there are things that have been open for a while that are less safe Um, than movie theaters. In a movie theater, um, you wear a mask and you face the back of someone's head. Mm -hmm. And also um, the the experience itself is passive. There's not someone on stage singing. There's not people screaming at each other in the theater. It's not like a restaurant where you're talking to your waiter or your mask is off for a long time because you're eating. A movie theater is actually, you know, one of the more safe out-of-home entertainment experiences Okay, we're going to take a real quick break here, but on the other side of it, I want to continue talking about what to expect in the new normal. 
This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. So for myself, I, I haven't been to a movie theater in ages, but I'm more risk averse. Um, when you look around the U.S. and you see that the health restrictions are still in place, like putting a hard stop on 25% capacity in New York, for example, doesn't that put a lid on what is possible? I mean, do you need to get to herd immunity before you can say, hey, we're roaring? No, I don't think so. I think, you know, in the way people say church was built for Easter Sunday, I think the theaters were built for huge blockbusters, you know, opening weekend. And I think if we get to 50% capacity, um, you'll be able to do very good numbers at the theaters. Again, it might cut short a little bit in opening weekend mm. where it wouldn't be as big as, as it theoretically could be. But at 50%, I think it can do, the industry can do extremely well. And you look at New York as an example. New York opened its restaurants at 25%. And then in the last few days, just increased it to 50%. So I think that progression, again, is going to happen faster than people think. So I do think it's going to come back quickly. The, um, the exhibition industry has a unique challenge because it's not only the jurisdictions opening the theater, but it's the studios releasing the blockbuster films. And the studios have been reluctant to do that in the pandemic, not only in the U.S., but globally. And one of the reasons they've been reluctant is you really need New York and L.A. to create an event out of a film. So you could theoretically open a film in, in China or the Middle East or uh, other places that's safe, but you really need the red carpet. You need the premiere. You need the talk shows. You need the critics. And New York and L.A. have had a disproportionate share in influencing the studios not to release their films. But the um, the fact you were just saying, you know, Hollywood and Los Angeles as major cities, they were the, L.A. was so hard hit by covid. D why hasn't that driven a shift? You know, why, why don't why does the movie production and all of what you're talking about just go elsewhere? It's a very hard thing to just pick up and move. I mean, production is much more of a global business than people think. A lot of television is shot in Georgia. A lot of movie production is done outside London at a number of studios. But in the L.A. area, you have the whole infrastructure. So whether it's the set designers or the lighting people or the makeup people or 
the, the hairstylists or whether it's even the business people and the screenwriters and the production people. You can't move those things overnight. But I, I do think the fact that L.A. was hit so hard has in a way exaggerated um, the global concern. So some of these other countries probably could have released Hollywood blockbusters a long time ago. But when executives are looking out their window and seeing such a tragic situation and it being so sad in their neighborhoods, it's very difficult to think the rest of the world will be different. But as L.A.'s positivity rate has been driven down recently and production is opening up, I think that mindset also will change. So do you think that some of the adaptations are here to stay? I mean, we've seen this huge acceleration in moving to streaming, which you mentioned. Um, and then you have you know, Disney, Warner Brothers doing simultaneous releases into theater and on demand. Do you think that's a trend that remains here to stay? I think for some smaller movies that may be here to stay, um, you know, m- more new- niche Movies with um, it's hard to recoup marketing costs on a small movie. But I think for blockbuster movies like the kind IMAX does, that is that is not here to stay. I mean, you have to remember that people have literally not figuratively been locked in their homes and in their living rooms with no alternative. So it's hardly surprising that um, they've decided to watch things that are streamed in their living rooms. I mean, people have kitchens, but they're dying to go out to restaurants. People can watch sports on TV, but they love going to live sports. And I don't think a hundred years of movie going and social gathering and being a cultural icon is going to be undone uh, by a new distribution technology that allows you to drive things in your living room. I mean, I don't, I don't know about you, Margaret, but and, um, you know, and I'm not um, a, a millennial, I'm older, so I have a different viewpoint than many people, but I can't wait to get off my couch and do all of those things. And movies are one of the first of them. But then at the same time, we've gotten so used to doing things when we want to do them, where we want to do them and, and on our own terms. Mm-hmm. So that that would be the argument for streaming still having a foothold. But you're saying there are still just certain things that have to be in-person experience. Yeah. And I mean, I think streaming will have a foothold, but I ask myself a lot of the streaming, um, which I love. So we really enjoyed Bridgerton. It's not the kind of thing I would typically watch, but the question is, will I take eight hours when I can go to a restaurant, go to a concert, go to a ball game, uh, because I live in th- New York, go to theater, go to the symphony. Am I going to commit eight hours to doing that? Right. I don't think so. I think I'm going to do some of the other things that I used to do. And especially in the early stages, I think I'm going to relish doing those things. So yes, streaming is here to stay, but I think the golden age of streaming is going to look a lot different when the world opens up. So you're probably not allowed to answer this question, but what movie are you excited to see in an IMAX this year? Oh, well, you know, I can definitely answer the question. There are five movies that have IMAX DNA in them, and I'd like to list all of them. They include Bond and and, and um, Black Widow, and they include uh, Maverick. But I have to say, um, because it's one of the earliest ones, I'm incredibly excited 
um, to see Maverick. And I'm supposed to get a sneak peek before it opens. And I can't wait. And the reason I say that is because of the visual appeal, you know, the flight sequences, um, the scope and scale and the sound. I think it's going to sort of say to the world, we're back. Rich Galfan, thank you so much for your time today. We're going to take a quick break. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Huggies Little Movers. Huggies knows that babies come in all shapes and sizes, and your tushies do too. That's why Huggies is the number one best-fitting diaper with its curved and stretchy fit and 12-hour protection against leaks. No matter what kind of butt you've got, you'll feel comfy while your baby's mushy little tushy wiggles and jiggles all around. Get your baby butt in the best-fitting diaper. Huggies Little Movers. We got you, baby. Now to an underreported story. In the Horn of Africa, there is a growing humanitarian crisis in Tigray, a region sandwiched between Ethiopia and Eritrea. Disturbing reports of ethnic cleansing and rape being used as a weapon of war are swirling. Now at least a dozen top UN officials have condemned abuses there. This week, for the first time since fighting erupted in November between Ethiopia and forces from the Tigray People's Liberation Front, Ethiopian Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed acknowledged the atrocities and that troops from Eritrea had entered the area. Secretary Blinken publicly called for forces from Eritrea and neighboring Amhara to leave. They need to come out and a force that will not uh, abuse the human rights of uh, the people of Tigray or commit acts of ethnic cleansing, which we've seen in western Tigray, that has to stop. President Biden dispatched his close ally, Senator Chris Coons of Delaware, to meet with the Ethiopian prime minister over the weekend. The State Department said he'd convinced the Ethiopian leader to condemn the human rights violations and agreed international negotiations. Meanwhile, humanitarian workers are warning a growing number of people are starving in the region. At least one million people have been left homeless and thousands have died in the ongoing crisis. Thank you for listening to Facing Forward. New episodes are available every Friday. Join us each week as we make sense of our changing world together. I'm Margaret Brennan. You can also find me on your CBS network broadcast station Sunday mornings on Face the Nation or on our digital network CBSN at 10.30 a.m., 1 p.m. and 4 p.m. Sundays or through our Paramount Plus app. Facing Forward is produced by Face the Nation's Ann Shu, Richard Escobedo, and Kelsey Miklas. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platforms and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts.